Well, for those of you who don't know, I'm Pastor Tim. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Village Church. And we are, we are ending today a series of messages. Basically, it's a sub-series on life roles here from the book of Ephesians. Next week, Pastor Craig will be up and he'll kind of uh, talk about spiritual warfare. But in this series of life roles, um, how many of you guys have been here for the whole thing? Let me just check and see. Okay, so some of you... Good, so you, just let me uh, go back and talk about refresher memory. So if you remember, Alex started us off with a great message about what is our roles, what should our roles be as church members? And then Michael talked about the roles of wives and the roles of husbands. And then last week, Pastor Craig uh, gave us a great message about the roles of children and fathers or children and parents. So today... Uh, the text that we have is really about slaves and masters. And since most of us here are not slaves or masters, even though we may feel like at times we're slaves at work and some of the bosses might act like they're our slave master, neither are true. So we're going to be talking more about what that looks like in the role of our work. So what does our work uh, roles look like? Um, let me just get a little poll of the audience here. How many of you like your jobs? My hand is up, by the way. All right, I do like my job, all right? So that's good. Unfortunately, that is not necessarily true in the world. Most of us uh, that work, uh, not us here, but most of the people in the world don't like their jobs. As a matter of fact, they even um, have harder feelings about their, about their jobs. What's sad is most Americans don't like their jobs. You know, so we have a problem, though. We're kind of like the seven dwarfs. We uh, kind of sing that song, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. You know, so we know that we don't like our work, but we like the money that the work provides. And since we owe everyone money, then we have to work in order to pay the bills. Let me give you some recent statistics, though. Um, it's, this, is, this is almost staggering when you think about it. 50 to 65%, the statistics kind of waver some, of those people who are currently employed are open or actively looking for another job. Maybe you're in that category and you're giggling. How about Monster, Career Builders, LinkedIn, are million dollar businesses that are web-based and they're all about job search. 98,000. 98,000 is a big number. That's the number of hours that the average person will work if they just work 40 hours a week in their lifetime. 98,000 hours. Now, most of us work far more than 40 hours a week. One third, one third is the amount of time that the average American says that they spend on their jobs or spend at work or working towards their jobs. Maybe it's commute or something. Let me give you some recent articles from Forbes Magazine, U.S. News, and Medical Daily. And when I started doing research for this message, I was almost shocked at the amount of articles, amount of people that are writing uh, about the situation of how Americans, how worldwide people don't like their jobs. Forbes Magazine in October 2013 uh, had an article called Unhappy Employees outnumber happy ones by two to one worldwide. Here's, here's what the article, uh, a clip of the article said. Since the late 1990s, Gallup 
has been measuring international employee satisfaction through a survey that it's been honing for over the years. It, in total, it pulled 25 million employees in 189 different countries. Overall, Gallup found that only 13% of workers feel engaged by their job. This is how they define engaged. Engaged means that the, that the employee feels a sense of passion for their work, a deep connection for their employer, and spend their days driving innovation and moving the company forward. Only 13% worldwide. The vast majority, some 63%, said that they were not engaged, meaning that they were unhappy, but not dramatically so. In short, they've checked out. Now that's a quote from this article. They sleepwalk through their days, putting little energy into their work. A full 24% of what Gallup called actively disengaged, meaning that these employees were pretty much, they pretty much hate their jobs. One fourth of the employees hate their job worldwide. They act out in undermining what, the co what other co-workers accomplish. In other words, this Gallup survey found that work is more often a source of frustration than one of fulfillment by nearly 90% of all the world's workers. That is staggering, especially when you consider that we spend a third of our time at work miserable. Maybe not us, but maybe them. Okay, so that's worldwide. Let's see if we can give you some statistics in the US. So in another article by US News in October 2014, their article was titled, Five Types of Bosses and How to Deal with Them. And there was a lot of articles about bosses, by the way. This is, this is a direct quote from that article. Most people would agree that the boss can help make or break a job. A great boss can make even the most mundane job even more worthwhile. And a terrible boss can create a toxic work environment and ruin an otherwise perfect career opportunity. Catch this. In fact, it is often said that people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. All right, so those are one kind of article. Let's see, what does it say on a medical side? So a Medical Daily, the Medical Daily is a, uh, an important magazine for doctors. And in January of 2015, they had an article that said, I hate my job, says 70% of US employees. How to be happy at work. So I'm gonna summarize this article. Basically, they looked at the most recent Gallup survey. Remember Gallup has been doing surveys and they do them annually on how people like their work or how they are engaged or disengaged in their work. They found that in 2015, employee improvement satisfaction actually rose slightly but it's, they said that they were still concerned about the cause and the problems that resulted in being disengaged in their work. That recent survey also found that job satisfaction wasn't just limited to blue collar employees. This was what they said. It found that employees in the middle management roles with college and postgraduate degrees were even less likely to be engaged at the workplace than their less educated counterparts. This is an epidemic, folks. People not only from the lowest janitor to the highest CEO, 70% of them don't like their jobs. 
So all these reports, with all these reports that I just gave you the statistics, do you realize that Christians are lumped into those? And I talk with Christians uh, a lot, you know, as a pastor, I talk with a lot of people, and I talk to a lot of Christians that did, would say ditto to everything that I just said. They don't like their jobs, they don't like their bosses, they're not satisfied. You know, that means that many of us who know Jesus as their Savior don't like our jobs. And if I were to poll the audience again and say, how many of you don't like your job? I'm not going to do that. You'd be surprised at how many of us don't like our jobs. The Medical Daily article went on to say something else. And I want to read some quotes here for you. If I've not bored you yet, this one, this one hopefully will wake you up. Direct quote, and the proposed solution to all this problem of hating your job, according to Forbes, Forbes magazine, is that the employers start introducing their employees to new challenges and rewards-based programs for their hard work. Been there, done that. I can tell you in the business world, that doesn't work. I recent, uh, years ago, I worked for a company as a corporate trainer. And I went to a particular area of the Midwest uh, once a month. And I kept going back, training their employees, training their employees. And finally, I said to the regional manager, I said, boss, I can keep doing this until the cows come home. We've got a problem. I don't know if you know this, but we have a 300% turnover ratio annually in this region. We are training everybody else's employees. We got to fix that before we can, and it's, it, it, their, their solution was, we'll pay them more money, you know, give them more incentive. It didn't work, and it probably doesn't work where you work, where you uh, work at either. You know, it's not about the money per se. I mean, yes, the money is good, but we need more than money to be satisfied at our job. I loved how they, again, it's a medical journal, so you have to help, you know, understand what's going on here. So this is what the long-term solution that was proposed by um, Medical Daily was. And often, um, our culture runs counter, counter to what the biblical model teaches, but in this case, I think they're, they're onto something. The article offered another long-term long -term solution, and it suggested rewiring our brains for happiness at the job. The article highlighted the work of a positive psychiatrist called Sean Anker. And this is what he said. He said that, you know, 25% of success at work can be predicted by a person's IQ. 75% of success and happiness at work is based on perception and having an optimistic outlook. Well, here's what the direct quote was. What we're finding is that it's not necessarily the reality that shapes us, but the lens through which our brain views the world that shapes our reality. He said, and if we can change the lens, not only can we change our happiness, we can also change the single uh, education and business outcome at the same time. So basically what I'm gonna propose to you today is what the Bible teaches is that we don't need to change our environment, the reality and where we work. We need to change the lens in which we're viewing that situation. You guys with me? Have I bored you to death yet? All right, just checking. 
Before I get into today's text, I want us to back up and look at this entire context of Scripture. I, I promise I will get to the passage. But we got to back up and we got to look at it because often we read verses in Scripture and we read them as like a newsflash, just, just one sentence line, and then we say, okay, that's great, let's move on. That's a good nugget of truth. But I want us to back up and look at what Paul is really trying to say in the book of Ephesians. This context actually starts in, uh, Paul's context starts in chapter five, verse one. And he said to this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Then he went on to say, he gave us some negatives. Okay, this is what it doesn't look like. Then he said in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he gave us some more instruction. And then Alex's text, verse 21, he says, submitting one to an, uh, one, I'm sorry, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the whole context in chapter five and in the first few verses of chapter six is about submission, about obedience, about respect, about humility. And how does that live out in our life roles, in our daily uh, person, personal interaction with people, our personal relationships? This is how practical the Bible is. Because he's given, given us these big overview concepts. He says, let's get practical. This is what it looks like in the home. This is what it looks like at work. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. What is interesting about these three that we talked about, and actually the one that Alex talked about as well, each of, the three, each of these tidbits, each of these personal instructions about uh, our, our personal uh, roles and our relationships, each of those started off with the first person being instructed to submit, to obey, to fall in line under. And then the second person in each of these, these three, they were told to, you live out submission by caring and providing for the first person. All right, so now, now we can get to Ephesians chapter six, verse five. And whether you're a boss or an employee, I think there's gonna be something in here for you. If you're unemployed or retired, I think there's going to be something for you as well, all right? Paul's list and what he's going to share is not exhaustive about the workplace, but I think it covers the biggest part of the problems that we have and some of the problems that they had in the day that Paul wrote it. So let's get into the text. And the first point is, how does God expect me to obey my boss? You really want me to obey my boss? Listen to what Paul says. Bond servants... Well, that would be employees. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. I'm gonna go through these, and I'm not gonna read the whole passage at once, but I'm gonna go through these one at a time so you can kind of see what is Paul really saying here. He's literally saying, keep on obeying. Don't stop obeying. You know, in the day that Paul lived, slaves would have come to faith in Christ and they would think, well, hey, I've got a new master. Jesus is my master, so I don't have to obey my earthly master. And Paul said, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you still have to keep obeying your earthly master. 
as an employee, just because you're a Christian, doesn't give you the right to say, well, I don't have to obey them. Then he says, with fear and trembling. Paul is the only one that uses this phrase in the entire New Testament, and he likes to use it, and it's kind of like a catchphrase. It's an idiom that Paul used uh, about himself, about others, about how we are to respond with fear and trembling. And it doesn't mean fear and trembling. It doesn't mean you walk in your, bo walk in your boss's office uh, uh, afraid of them. What he's talking about there, it's an idiom meaning to show respect or honor to the person, uh, to, to show humility before them. And he says that you are to obey them with humility, with, with honor, with respect. And it was suggested that you could translate this, you should respect your owners and obey them completely. Then he says, with a sincere heart, with sincerity, with honesty, with no ulterior motive in mind, with no hidden agenda. You don't obey your boss with a hidden agenda. Then he says, not with eye service. I love this phrase in the original because what it really is saying here. When your master is watching you, work hard. He says, no, 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 don't do that. How many of us know or have even heard, or maybe even, don't answer this, been guilty of saying, everybody get to work, the boss is coming. That's exactly what he's countering. We should work hard whether the boss is watching or whether the boss is not watching because our boss is always watching, right? And then he says, as people pleasers, as men pleasers. You know, how many of you like suck-ups at work? You know? You know what I'm talking about. We've all, if you've worked at any amount of time at any place of business, you know there are those employees that are suck-ups. And what they do is when the boss is around, they are Eddie Haskell. I mean, oh, you know, just, just, just everything is great, boss. You're just wonderful. In the meantime, it's like, Get, be, just, we all like those people, right? Yeah, I, I didn't think so. No ulterior motive is what he's saying here. And then he says, doing the will of God from the heart. Actually, literally, he's saying from the soul. Do the work from your soul, from the inward part. Work without grudgery without constraint, from the principle of, I love my job, I, whether you love your job or whether you don't love your job, Paul's instruction is you work with a joyful attitude. You work with an attitude that says, I am gonna make a difference here, somehow, some way, I'm gonna make it better. Often people wonder, you know, I. I I, I hear this all the time. What's God's will for my life? And they wonder, what is God's will for my life? Well, Paul spells it out there. Doing the will of God from your heart. Working hard at your job is part of God's will for your life. And he says from the heart, meaning you can't really fulfill the will of God unless you are doing it from your inward person. Rendering service in a good will, wholeheartedly is what he's talking about. So let me see if I can get practical here. Let's get really practical down to the nuts and bolts. Do I really have to do all these things at my job? You wondering that question? 
What if my boss is a great person? I love my job. I love what I do. The answer is, all right, thank you. I'm just making, some of you are still awake. Yes, if my job is a great place, my boss is a great person, should I do all these things? Absolutely. But what if your boss is not a Christian? Remember I told you, that's, that's probably in the, the minds of these Ephesian slaves. Do I really have to obey my boss, my owner, if he's not a Christian, if he's not a believer in Jesus? Do I really have to? Yes. We're going to talk about, answer these questions. I'm going to throw this one out, and I'm not even going to sure I, I should do this. What if my boss is a woman and I'm a man? Do I still have to obey her? I, I don't think I even need to venture an answer for that. Of course. Some of the best bosses that I've seen were women. Yeah. <laughs> they show compassion and insight that a lot of the men bosses never see. What if my boss is a non-Christian, he's clueless, terrible, and a tyrant? Do I still have to do these things? Let me ask you this. What would you expect the behavior of a non-Christian to be? Yeah. So are you surprised? Shouldn't be. Non-Christian doesn't have the Spirit of God working in their heart. Why would, they, why would they show compassion? Why would they show sympathy? But disrespecting, in this context, disrespecting spouses, parents, or employees are never appropriate for the Christian. Such disrespect can communicate not only through outward criticism, but also through an attitude, a bad attitude, and jokes about the circumstance. It is so easy to get caught up, you know, in what used to be called water cooler conversations. We don't have water coolers at our, our workplaces anymore, but you know what I'm talking about. When everybody's just standing around talking, making sure the boss isn't looking. It's so easy to get caught up in gossip. Did you hear what so-and-so did? Complaining. I can't believe this company wants to murmuring. I can't stand my boss. I hate this company. Laziness. Okay, so what? I didn't clock out for work the last, uh, clock out for lunch the last couple of days. Thievery. You know, we so easily get caught up into the ways of the world. And as believers and followers of Jesus, we're called to a much higher standard. So let me ask this question. Do I have to do all these things if my boss claims to be a Christian and is still a jerk? I'm going to answer that question in just a minute. What, if, what are my alternatives if my boss asks me to do something that I disagree with? Has that ever happened to you? I, I, I think you're, you're intelligent people. I, I think that happens. My question is this. Are you just disagreeing to disagree because you, you know, you know a better way? Or do you really know a better way? You know, that's, in other words, before you, I can answer that question, we need to do an attitude check. Why am I disagreeing with what my boss is trying to tell me to do? If you really have a better way of doing something, which happens, all right, you're smart people, you have an obligation, a Christian obligation, to go to your boss and talk to them and say, hey, boss, I know you want us to do this this way, 
but have you thought about doing something else or doing it another way? So I want to offer you what I call a Daniel appeal. You know, if you guys know about Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was asked to do something that he felt wasn't right. And so the very first thing that he did, he demonstrated that he approached his boss with humility. You know, when you go in slamming your fist down, saying, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're doing, this will ruin our company, that probably won't get you too far. You need to demonstrate respect. That's what Daniel did to his, to his uh, keeper. He demonstrated respect. You need to offer your alternative. You know, no boss, and I've been in, in the business world for quite some time, you know, prior to being a pastor, no boss likes an employee to come in and say, this is wrong, you don't know what you're doing, this is gonna ruin us. You know, well, what's the alternative? I don't have one. And the boss says, well, there's the door until you have a better idea. If you have a better alternative or a better solution, you need to offer that to your employer. You need to say, boss, have you thought about doing it this way? Or if, boss, I know you wanna do this, but if you do this, have you considered what's gonna happen over here? Maybe they didn't see it. Bosses aren't infallible. So here's the last two pieces I wanna offer you. If the boss rejects your solution, you need to be willing to submit to the orders of your boss wholeheartedly. They're in charge, it is ultimately their decision. And so if they reject your idea, you say, okay, I'll give it my 100%, I'll do what I can. If they accept your idea, if they accept your alternative plan, if your plan works, never take credit for it. You know, don't run around, yeah, that was my idea. Did you know we made a million dollars because of my idea? That probably won't get you too far. And if your plan is wrong, you need to own it. You need to go back and apologize. You need to go back and make sure that the boss knows and, and be monitoring your solution to the point where as it's going along, boss, I know I said to do this, the wheels are coming off fast. We got to stop. We got to go back. Own it. All right. Point number two. How does God expect me to treat my employees? You know, listen to what Paul says. Masters, do the same thing to them. This would have rocked the world in the first century. This would have rocked the, the, the slave master's whole way of thinking. You want me to do what? There was a common proverb that was used in the day, and it was repeated by a guy named Seneca. And this is what he said. This was what slave masters would say. All slaves are enemies to their masters. And that was the mentality of those, of those slave masters. You want me to treat my enemies the same way that they should be treating me? Do the same thing to them. It means the same standards that Paul has just laid out for the slaves, for the employees, that needs to be the same attitude that bosses have toward their employees. Same attitude. Everything, same, same. So often that's not the way it is. Then he says, stop your threatening. Literally refraining from the threatenings. And let me explain what I'm talking about. It was commonplace 
that the slave owners would threaten and use certain threats often and regular to keep their slaves in line. Does that sound like some of your bosses? You know, the, let me give you a common phrase. There's the door, you know. In the mechanic world that I grew up in, uh, those toolboxes have wheels on them, roll it right out the door. That was what, what was commonly said in uh, the line of work that I was in. And that's a threat that the boss would use to keep the employees in line. Why do we think, if, as bosses, why do we think threats are good motivators? They're poor motivators. They are terrible motivators. All a threat does is incite anger and hostility and wrath, and then there's, then there's something that's going to happen that's not good and not pretty and not becoming of a Christ follower. Threats are never a means in which to keep your employees in line. Now, I'm not saying that standards aren't to be set. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about threats. And then he says at the end of this, there is no partiality with him. You know, often bosses think because they, they go to work in an office or in a suit or they go home clean, they think that their status means that I don't have to meet the standard for the employees. Often, bosses think that they have, a, you know, they have a, an exemption card that they can play. And that's not true. You know, just as husbands and parents were talked about in the previous verses, bosses, in reality, don't have a lower standard, they have a higher standard. The expectation from Christ is that if you're the boss, if you're the leader, if you're the parent, if you're the husband, your standard is here and you will answer for that. You will answer for God by how you lead at your job. And therefore, you'll be judged more strictly. All right, so let me get into the practical side here and ask the practical question. Do I really have to honor and respect all my employees? All of them? All of them? Really, all of them? God, do you know that there are some, all of them? What do you think the answer is? If they are great employees, they are great workers, they've got a great attitude, that's easy to answer. Of course we are. We want to keep those employees. But if they're bad, no, no. What if my employees are not fellow brothers and sisters of Christ? Remember what I asked? What do you expect the behavior for a non-Christian to be like? Now, hopefully, when you hired them, you, you vetted that out. You, 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 know, you followed through. You can tell through conversation, is this person got standards? Do they have Christian standards? You should be able to know that through an interview process. But if you find out in your interview process they are not a believer. What do you think their behavior is going to be like? What if your employees are lazy or complaining? What then? You know, years ago, we used to have a, you know, uh, uh, the American work ethic. And it said something like this. Give your employer a fair day's work for a fair day wages, right? And yet what happens is, well, the boss isn't paying me or the company's not paying me as much as I think I ought to get paid, therefore I don't have to work as hard as I think I should work or what is expected. 
And that's not the way it should be. You know, maybe, just maybe, your employees are lazy and complaining because they've seen poor performance rewarded and hard work punished. I've seen that in businesses. I really have. The lazy guys that are suck-ups, they, they make it to the top. And the hardworking guy or gal, you know, they just keep grinding them into the stone. And that's not the way it should be as bosses. You know, I want to ask you this question. Do you think complaining is new? That's probably not, right? We, we know, if we know our Bible, we know it's not. In Matthew 20, Jesus says something very crazy in the minds of, in the listeners' ears. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who had a vineyard and he needed that vineyard harvest. And so he went out to the courtyard and he hired some workers the first hour. And he said, hey, I'll pay you a day's wage for a day's work. They said, yep. He says, go get them. Then he went out there and said he needed more labor. So he went out to the courtyard and he hired some at the second or the third hour and then the sixth hour. And finally, it was the 11th hour and he still hadn't had the harvest in. So he hired some more servants, some more uh, employees. They weren't servants, they were employees. And so they brought the harvest in and then it was time for payday. And this is what happened in verse 10. And now when those hired first came, those, those who hired first came, they thought that they would receive more because the owner paid the guys that worked the 11th hour the same wage that the ones that he hired the first hour he told would pay. But each of them also received a denarius, another, in other words, a day's wage. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, the last workers only uh, worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And he replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take your belongings and go, uh, uh, belongings to you and go. I choose to give the, this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I chose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? Do you know what this story really illustrated? The kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus said at the very beginning. He said, I'm going to tell you about the kingdom of heaven. It is like, and it illustrates what happens at, at the workplace. We find out what other people are making and then we begin begrudging them. You know, well, I've been here 10 years and, you know, this guy who just came in this year, he's making as much as me or she's making just as me. And then we start begrudging them and say, well, wait a minute, you agreed that you would work for that salary. It's the same way in the kingdom of heaven. Complaining is nothing new. What if, what if your employees don't give you the respect you deserve? As the boss, your employees don't give you the respect you deserve. This is going to sound harsh, and it probably is. Maybe you need to start by looking into the mirror. Maybe, maybe you have not shown them respect, and therefore you're not receiving it. See, respect is both received and earned. And maybe you haven't earned their respect, and maybe you need to just look in the mirror and say, well, I need to change something. If you've earned the respect but aren't receiving it, it's time for a sit down. And if they're a believer in Jesus, it's a time for, uh, let's come to Jesus' meeting. 
because you're not showing me respect and as a Christian, you should be showing your boss respect. Let me throw this one out too. You, as the boss and you see an employee that's not showing you respect, and this is very unusual. It's unusual behavior for them. Maybe you need to come to that employee and say, hey, this is not like you. What's going on? Something happened personally in your life? Maybe it's an opportunity for you as a Christian boss to do some ministry with this employee. Maybe their life is falling apart. Maybe something's going on with a child or with a spouse and, and it's time for you to do real ministry right there. What if your employee claims to be a follower of Jesus and doesn't act like it at the job? I have no hesitation to say this. It's time to sit down and appeal to their faith. And maybe it's time to make a hard choice and say, you know what? You claim to be a follower of Jesus. You clearly aren't acting like it. You clearly aren't performing like it here at work. Your attitude's bad. You know, you need to either shape up or we need to see the pastor or, you know, maybe it's a place, for, it's time for you to move on. It's okay to have those standards. Here's what I really want to say. Work is a place that we serve at and we, we spend a lot of time at. And what we often think is work is secular and church is sacred. And I want us to change that lens that work can be just as sacred as church. So it brings me to the third point. Does everyone have a boss? Well, I'm going to answer that. Look at, I'm going to just throw all those up there, Robbie. It says, this is the entire passage. As you would Christ, as bondservants of Christ, as the Lord and not, as the Lord and not to men, he will receive back from the Lord knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven? The answer is yes, if you're a follower of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus, for every follower of Jesus, we, we have this tension that goes on. We have freedom in Christ. Paul talks about the freedom we have in Christ, but he also talks about we are a slave to Christ. We are a slave to Christ and we're free in Christ. That tension is constantly uh, pulling on us. Which one should it be? Which one should I uh, really submit to? Which one should I really embrace the most? And I would venture to say, you need to embrace them both. Both of them are simultaneously true for the life of the follower of Jesus. Both of them can only be worked out as the Holy Spirit is working in your life and through your life and through your relationships. That's the only way we can see that we have freedom in Christ and being a slave to Christ is through our relationships. When we understand this, the real motivation really comes out. When we really understand as a follower of Christ, I have a boss who is above me and above my boss and above his boss. When I understand that, we will be the best employees and the best employers in the world. And the person who understands that Jesus is ultimately their boss, they will work as for the Lord. They will honor Jesus. They will bring him glory, not just at church, but in the workplace. So if you're a Christian, does everyone have a boss? Yes. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the answer is you're serving yourself or they are serving themselves. 
They are their own boss. Now, one day they will stand before the king of kings and it'll be different. But now they are serving themselves. Years ago, I worked with a young guy who my kids thought was Jesus. He was, he was tall, long, dark uh, hair, uh, usually kept it in a ponytail, really nice trimmed beard. And my, my kids were real little, our kids were real small, and they thought he was Jesus. He was not Jesus. But he had a bumper sticker on his truck. And this bumper sticker said, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. That, I don't like bumper stickers, so you won't see those on my car. But I like that slogan. I really do. Because when we keep it in mind that my boss is a Jewish carpenter, whether I'm a mechanic or whether I'm a CEO, whether I'm a teacher, it doesn't matter what I do. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. When we keep that in mind, all these things will fall in place as we submit to the Holy Spirit. It's great for us all to remember that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what we've just looked at. I thank you for the practicality of the Bible, how that it calls us to submit, to honor, to respect with all humility, with all dignity, to honor one another, to care for one another, and how practical we've just seen. It's in our relationship at work that is often played out. Father, help us to be changed because of what we've heard today. In Jesus' name, amen.